Life feels an awful lot like the cover of your bulletin, where there's things going in every direction, in every way, some of them good, some of them bad, some of them ugly, and we're just like, oh my goodness, how am I going to get through this, let alone slow down? I don't have time to slow down. In Psalm 46, the psalmist is called to write this vision that God has given him, and God says, look around at the wars I have caused. Look around at my great power. Look around at how I have defeated evil, how I have done these things. And then he says, be still and know that I am God. Just like we heard a few minutes ago as we sang it together, you alone are the one true God and King. And as we consider our lives, we're going to keep coming back to what story are our lives telling of who God is? What story of God at work are others seeing in our public and in our private times? Who is God in us? Because I'm making a broad assumption that if you've shown up at church this morning, you either want to know more about this guy, Jesus, or you already love him and you want to grow together in love for Jesus and love for others. Or for some of you, your mom and dad made you come. But for one of those reasons, there is some level of knowledge and exposure to our God and King but yet, as we talked about in our discipleship class this morning, it might feel like it's up here. And how do we move our lives into a position where it's overflowing out of our heart, out of our very soul, out of our very being, that God, you are God alone, and every area of my life is going to show that. So as we get started this morning, we're going to pray and then we're going to take a look. We're going to do a little bit of a self-inventory. And then I'm going to invite you to something that you're all going to, in your minds, want to argue with me about. And we're going to look at what freedom can come when we stop arguing and start trusting. So let's pray together. Lord, you are God alone. And we love you. Thank you that you are with us. As we prayed this morning already, you never leave us nor forsake us. Your words are as true today as they always have been. May our confidence be found in you. May our hope be found in you. May the chaos of our minds, the chaos of our lives, be set before the foot of your Son so that we let him carry our burdens. God, you are so good. Your love endures forever. In your name I pray. Amen. Not many of you know, but I come into the office every Sunday. Uh, I do come into the office on Sundays most weeks. But every Monday morning, uh, I come into the office and I look around and it's pretty early. The school here is just starting, so I get to listen to them do their morning exercises and whatnot. And I look at my desk and the carnage that has come from the previous weekend and the, the things that have been put on it uh, the day before today, Sunday. And I look around and I begin to try to start my week 
by just cleaning up my desk so that hopefully when the day gets started, it looks without the tablecloth something like this. It's nice and clean. There's no distractions on it. And I can, I can begin to think about the week ahead. I can begin to think about what am I going to... I already know at this point what I'm preaching on the following Sunday, but I'm going to begin or I'm going to continue to refine that. I'm going to continue to look at a few things, spend a good chunk of Monday just in prayer and in the Word and enjoying the Lord to try to orient my own time toward who God is. And if I'm out of the overflow of my heart, hopefully he will speak. But you see, something starts to happen. You know, first I'll go downstairs and pretty early on in the day, it's Monday, so I'm tired. So this gets added to my desk. And by the way, there's absolutely nothing sinful about coffee. And if you say otherwise, you're wrong. And so that gets added to my desk and taken away. And then as the day goes on, uh, I'll start seeing some emails and some different things that come across. Not too much, because I don't, I don't look too much at things. But you start to see that this little guy comes out of the pocket and it starts to show up with little green messages, WhatsApp, little blue messages, Facebook, little uh, also blue messages, iMessage because I'm a Mac guy. And so I have to figure out, oh man, the thing won't stop and it's only Monday. And so more gets added to the, to the building pace of the day and I start to feel like I have to get all of these things answered. Then I'll have noticed something on Sunday morning that's broken. I'm a tech guy at heart, and so it drives me nuts if our projectors aren't working, if the sound sounds funny. And so I'll begin to be thinking about, well, what can we fix? So then I've got to go to Shamshri Power, I've got to go do something, and I've got to go get that sorted, right? And so that's another thing. Or I've got to talk to Victor if he's our IT guy, and he's going to help me sort it out, or there's going to be this thing, or there's going to be that. And it adds to it. And then I begin to think, well, how can, we, how can we tell the story of God at work through our sermon and through our service and through the worship gathering we have and who's on leading worship this week? And I'll begin to think, oh, I've got to communicate with them. I've got to make sure they've got everything they need. And the order of service begins to cover my mind. And, and that adds to it. And it adds up. And then I start thinking about, well, how did I do last week? And we've got the sermon notes from last week. And I want to consider those. And all of a sudden, those go up. And those are there. And I begin to think about those. Then someone has a need. ELIC calls. We've got a teacher coming down. Can you go to the airport? Pick them up. Can you do this? We've got friends. We've got this. We've got that. And all of a sudden, that nice order that I started with on Monday morning after I dropped my kids off at school has become very frantic and very paced. And somewhere under that mess is that. And all of the sudden, out of nothing but good things, I've covered up the greatest thing. I've lost sight in the pace. Again, not a single thing I just mentioned is anything bad. They are all joyful things. They are all wonderful things. But in that pace that I've allowed myself to live in, I've gone with whatever comes next instead of what comes best. And I don't think I'm the only one. I don't think I'm the only person that if somebody asks the question today, we answer with one of our Hong Kong national anthems. How are you? We are busy. 
We name it and we claim it and it's who we are and we're proud of it. But what if we weren't? For the next eight or ten weeks or however long it goes to take us through and however long it takes, we're going to look at the fact that from the very beginning of the Bible, God invited his people to live a life of rhythm. Now, I need to be careful here because I cannot dance. And when you think about rhythm, you might think of someone that has musical ability of which I have none. And, and so for me, that even that thought can almost feel overwhelming of there's a rhythm. You know, I was taught to waltz once, and the only thing I learned was that you don't want to be my partner uh, because it was a painful experience for her. It was great for me. Um, but there's a rhythm that God has given us to life that we're invited to follow, a way of trusting in him and orienting our lives around who is first. Not what is first, around who is first. And in so doing, it begins to change how we see the pace of the day. Because you may not be able to change all of the external here. But the internal can dramatically change as we order our lives in a way that follows what happens when we put this on top when we begin to seek him first in all his ways. It begins to change when we begin to practice disciplining our lives in such a way that points us to God in every situation. Mike, I don't like the word discipline. That feels very rigid and scary. What does that mean? I'm glad you asked. I'd like to talk about that for a few moments before we get into the first of those disciplines. Discipline we often consider, if you're a parent, of what you have to do to your kid to get them to go on the right way, to follow the right path. Biblically speaking, or life coaching speaking, discipline is about how we arrange our lives so that we make sure we focus on the right things. There's a big business right now in what's called executive coaching or life coaching. And I've read some of the books. I've got friends that are actually executive coaches and they do a great job. And one of them uh, is is quite a good friend of mine. And she was telling me, you know, really what I spend most of my time on is helping people see what's important rather than just what's urgent. Helping people focus on what truly matters in life. And she's a Christian lady doing this. and And that's ultimately what she does. And all of that, she said, Mike, all I have to do is try to get people to understand the veracity, the truthfulness, and the reliability of God's word, and then their willingness to obey him and make the changes that come out of seeking him first. Disciplining our lives according to the, the, the rhythm that God has given us is a wonderful joy, as we're going to see as we open the scriptures this morning. You see, because God wanted to care for his people and he wanted his people to know how to enjoy him and how to show others his glory. And he did that by instituting things like practicing the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. What does that mean in the year 2016? How in the world do we do this? One, we're not Jewish. Two, we're not sacrificing. Three, we're not walking so what do we do? Well, let's find out. Jesus talked an awful lot about getting away, and he showed it. 
in practicing the discipline of solitude. In this city, noise is everywhere. Maybe it's in your own home. If you're like me, you've got children. And once the children go to bed, then the dings of all the devices start going off or never stopped. And you hear all of this different noise and you walk outside and there's noise everywhere. And we get overwhelmed by the noise. So what do we do to back away from that and enjoy just a few moments of solitude or silence and grapple Wrestle with the very power of God. Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. What if things like this, things like this, things like television screens have so overtaken us that we can't remove ourselves from them and focus on what matters? How do we fight that battle of distraction? Well, you know, God's word has something to say about that too. He calls it fasting. Now, you might be tempted to think, oh, Mike, that means I can drive fast. No, it doesn't. It actually means that we put something away. I don't even want to use the term give up because that's not exactly what we're doing. We're putting something away so that when we miss it, our thoughts and our attention and our affections are aimed at the Lord. So if I'm going to fast from food, when my stomach starts to rumble, I'm going to remember that I have set apart this time not to eat, but to enjoy the Lord. If I've said I'm going to fast from television, I'm not going to watch tennis today. Check on me because I might be crazy. But if I fast from that, then when I miss wanting to know what's going on on the television, I'm going to use that time to enjoy the Lord. I'm not giving up something. I'm gaining something so much better. That's at the heart of what fasting is. And that's another rhythm that we practice. We're also going to talk about the rhythm of celebration. Now, we, we, Mike, I, I, I do that one pretty well. You probably do. But do we really walk with people and enjoying what God is doing? Are we in the habit of communicating together who God is and what he's up to? Do we celebrate God at work? And do we learn to do that together? We've already talked recently about prayer. We're going to talk about it again. How's our prayer lives? Do we take the words of Jesus seriously when he says, don't go out in the corner and show off at how great you are and how big of words you can use, but do you go in, lock yourself in a quiet room and just talk to God and listen to God? Uh, a famous uh, writer from the Middle Age kind of time wrote, it's this idea of practicing the very presence of God. Spiritual disciplines are meant to help us enjoy the presence of God and build our lives, our schedules, in such a way that while the world may be frantic, he remains the same and our foundation is immovable because it's him. So that when the difficulties come, when the typhoons come in life, we've already built in the disciplines to help us enjoy him when it gets tough. We've already built in the things that help us slow down. With that, would you open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20? 
And I want to introduce you to one that's, oh boy. You're all going to say, Mike, I'm doing it because I'm here. And I'm going to say, maybe not so much. Exodus 20, starting with verse 8. Sometimes you have to discipline yourself to put on your glasses. Oh, look at that. Now, this is what's gone on so far. God is giving Moses the Ten Commandments. It's been done. And in so doing, the Ten Commandments have pointed first to the glory and greatness and central and only soul object of worship. In other words, all of our attention and glory and honor should be aimed at God. I am the Lord. You shall have no other. Honor me. Do not make idols out of me. We're going to come back in sometime within the next 16 or so months, we're going to look at the Ten Commandments. But right now, trust that we're not supposed to practice idolatry. And we'll look at what that can mean in the, years, in the, in the 21st century. But then he goes on. And God gives a different kind of commandment than most of the others because it's not so much a just blanket to-do list. It's more of a focal point. And so I want to read this to you, and I want you to think about what you pick out of this in reference to who we are. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male and female servants, nor your animals, I promise my dog is not working right now, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Remember, I asked you to read that in the lens of the culture we find ourselves today. I think I'm going to read it again just to make sure we get that part. Six days you shall labor, you shall work, and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the Sabbath, on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Well, first, Mike, what's this word Sabbath mean? Shabbat, what's that mean? If you're, you know, reading out of the Hebrew Bible this morning. And it basically means stop, cease, halt, don't do it. It's a pretty simple word. It's not super confusing. So, remember that self-inventory? Here we go. If you are not in the employ or in the service of the church this morning, you shouldn't be working today. Okay? So what's the rest of our days look like? Because, you know, for me, if I'm supposed to keep a day holy and set apart before the Lord, it's probably not the day I'm going to be preaching. It's the day I'm going to be spending time with the Lord, learning from other preachers, learning from others, and enjoying his time. And I, I do that, I try to do that on Fridays. So let's, let's go through this. In your minds, tell me about the rest of your day. Now, I'm not telepathic. I can't read your minds. 
but do I need to finish preaching by 12.02 so that you can get out and get in your car and be at your lunch appointment by 12.30 so that then you can get your kids to their next lesson, course, or tutorial section by 3 so then you can come back and make sure they've done all of their homework and so then you can make sure that you've checked all of your emails and returned all of your work stuff so that you're ready for the next day. Do you see how this piles up? Does that... and? I'm trying not to make this a guilt-inducing sermon because it's not supposed to be. Sabbath is supposed to be greatly freeing, but I think we have to look in the mirror to get to the freedom. And so I want you to look at that picture I painted of somebody that has your pace going. Church has just become that one more thing that you show up, you go to, and then you keep going with your day. Is that the picture that was painted here? Is that the picture we see there? There we go. There's our answer. Probably not for most of us, myself included. I'm learning this too. I've had just, I'll be transparent. I have just had an awful week of challenging things. And it has been so great because I've gotten to see God work in miraculous ways. And I do not overstate that. Someday I'll get to tell you about them once they've worked out. But right now I'm exhausted and I'm frantic. I told the worship team before, I just feel, ah! and I can't even slow my mind down. And so the Lord has been convicting me since I got up this morning at five. Hey, you wrote yesterday, slow down. You've told everybody else to do it. Are you remembering what I've already done? Sabbath was aimed at remembering God. Is your life ordered in such a way that you slow down and remember who he is? Do we make space in our life to remember God? Mike, how could I forget God? He's God. Well, if I opened up my Google calendar, you might think, where is God? There's meetings. Are meetings God? Are my finances God? You know, what's my God? Where is God in my schedule? And that's why God invites us into this rhythm of Sabbath, of setting apart a day. Now, he should always be our focus. Don't misunderstand. There's never a time when we shouldn't be focusing on the Lord. But this was bringing us together as families and as the family of God to enjoy and to worship him and to take a break from everything going on to let our bodies rejuvenate. Just out, just out of curiosity, can I ask a question, and would you raise your hand if the answer is yes? Actually, I'll do, it, I'll do it even simpler. If it's true, raise your hand. Okay? You ready? It's a super hard question. I am tired. True or false? Look at that. And I bet you the number's higher if you really, you just think that uh, Mike needs to see that I'm holier than you. Okay, put your hands down. Good. See, right there, God cared deeply about our physical state. And he was building into life a way, if we observe it properly, that we are to rest, that we are to slow down, that we are to let go and just enjoy him with our family. Now, that can mean different things. Maybe you go off today and you take a walk. Perish the thought. Maybe you just have a good meal together. 
That is often done, especially in the Old Testament. Man, in the New Testament as well, they love to eat together. These are good things. But have we changed the pace of our life so that we come into this room together expecting God to do mighty things, ready to celebrate what he's already doing and done, and eager to share that with each other. And then as we go out, I was saying, you know what? We're going to get into the rhythm of just going a little slower on Sunday. We're just going to pause. Now remember, back in the Old Testament, the Sabbath day was kept on Saturday, the last day of the week. And then uh, upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the, the new church tradition began. And some have even argued that it changed from being called the Sabbath to now the Lord's Day. Fine, God, again, God understands. The concept is the same. We set apart a time to worship the Lord, to honor Him, and to rest. So you ready for this? I want to invite you to do something today but not right now. Okay, you ready? Some of you already know what I'm about to say. Take a nap. <laughs> not right now. Okay? Give yourself permission to rest. You know what? Tell your kids. Kids, can you give me 30 minutes? You give me 30 minutes, and I will build that Lego set with you, and you will have my undivided attention. I will do that with you. My kids know that when we get home on Sunday, dad needs an hour. And that if they wake me up, they will face the wrath of dad. (laughs) Largely because I've been up for a long time and I'm just not ready for more people, even my children. And they're great. But what if we did that? What if we gave ourselves space just to slow down and rest? And what if we moved on to understanding that this pace that a Sabbath day is to look like actually is delightful? Because listen to what Isaiah taught us. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way, oh, so what a great sentence right there. If you honor it by not going your own way, and not doing as you please, or speaking idle words, and you'll find joy in the Lord. Your attention has shifted. Your focus is so totally on Him that it's irrevocably irrevocably true that you're going to find joy in Him. Because just as we sang, He is our refuge and our strength. We started our morning with that very concept that we find rest in Him. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father, Jacob. The mouth of the Lord is spoken. This, ladies and gentlemen, is a big deal. It's a commandment. It's real. And I think of all the commandments, it's one we break the most easily. We do not give ourselves permission from God to rest. Maybe you're like me, and there are times when you feel guilty if you just sit down and slow down, because there's always something else to do, right? So what does God's word teach us? I want to bullet point a couple of things for you. Of course, you know. It's not going to work. So I'm going to walk over to my computer screen. Ah, there we go, magic. And it went too far. 
So I'm going to back up here a second. But did you notice the first thing it says? There we go. Take time to delight in the ways of the Lord. When you woke up this morning, human nature says we wake up and we start thinking about all we have to do in the day, right? It's pretty normal. You're not wrong for that. But what if then we pause and we said, Lord, you are so good. Your love endures forever. I'm going to talk about you. I'm going to spend a few minutes reading your word. I'm going to get this day started right with you. Lord, teach me to go into church today excited to worship and honor you and to excitedly invite others to do that together. Lord, I know my kids are going to be crazy because it's the weekend. Help me to value them as you have valued me. Delight in the ways of the Lord. Show that he has great value in your life. The Lord's day is a delight, and it gives us a space to focus. If we observe the Sabbath, and you can do it in various ways, and I'll get to that. It doesn't have to be a legalistic thing. But if we observe the Sabbath by keeping it holy, remember, who is holy? Only the Lord. And because of what Jesus has done, we have been given his righteousness and his holiness. But here's the thing. We are to set apart a day where we remember who God is. And we honor him with our words and with our thoughts. And we teach that to those around us that we don't have to live the way the world or even religion tells us to live. That it's not about a to-do list. It's about the very person of Jesus Christ at work in and through us. And our strength and our satisfaction and our contentment are found first and foremost in him. Not in our jobs. Not in our financial position. Not in our friends. I told our, our discipleship class this morning, your spouse will not meet all your needs. There's only one that can do that, and his name is God. I am. When our life begins to practice the Sabbath, we're able to slow down and put everything with the Lord and say, you can carry all this. My delight is in you, God. My delight isn't in how great I am. It's who you are and how amazing you are. Which, you know what's really funny? the world is starting to pick up that maybe our priorities are skewed. Maybe it has to do with the changing geopolitical structure of our world. Maybe it's growth. Maybe it's the end times. Whatever you might think it is. But I read an article that was written last week and published last Sunday. And in it, it, com- it asked the question of a famous sociologist, which is more valuable, time or money? And they began to think about it because this sociologist had a, I believe it was a 12-week-old baby at home, and he was invited to a very lucrative 10-week teaching fellowship at another university. And that would have provided great financial security for him. But it got him thinking about this question, which is more important, to be at home with my baby, seeing this little child grow and develop and be there watching it, or making money that the child is secure and financially stable and all of these things. And so what does a sociologist do? Writes a survey and gives it out. (laughs) Because that's what sociologists do. And you know what people chose over two-thirds of the time? Money. 
Time and time again, they said, I would make the choice that I need to make more money. My family will be okay because I need the money. Interestingly, they changed a couple variables of the survey and they went back and they asked it again. And after a couple weeks of thinking about it and pondering and looking at it differently and adding some scenarios to it that were more real life, more and more people came to the conclusion that relationships and time were of more valuable than finances. Finances were important, but the time spent with loved ones provided greater sense of satisfaction, provided greater sense of contentment, and provided greater sense of stability in their lives. This was in the New York Times, ladies and gentlemen. This wasn't a Christian survey by any stretch. And if the New York Times can come to the conclusion that how we spend our time and our resources should shift, maybe we in the church should lead the way in showing them how. Maybe we have a dramatic opportunity to show people what it means to live in rhythm and in step with the Lord. That when our lives are oriented with him first, these other things of chaotic nature will fall into place as the things of this earth grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. Isn't that awesome to think about? That as we practice the Sabbath, as we slow down and we make for a little bit of time him our only focus, it changes how we see everything else. John Piper says it like this, And I love what he has to say. God's purpose for us on the Sabbath is that we experience the highest and most intense joy that can be experienced. Namely, that we take delight in the Lord. There is nothing greater than delighting in the Lord. Nothing else comes close. And yet what God finds again and again is professing Christians who prefer little human-sized pleasures from things that have no close relationship to God at all. Is that us? Do we find our significance in following the to-do list the world has given us? Or maybe we're learning as Jesus had to teach because he was questioned on observance of the Sabbath because his disciples dared uh, pick and eat some food uh, on the Sabbath day and Jesus also had the audacity to heal and help someone on the Sabbath day. And how dare he heal someone in need when you're supposed to not be doing anything? You see, we'd lost the point on the other direction as well. We needed to show everybody how holy we are. And so Jesus makes sure he explains to us what's going on there too. And he says, haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath day in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? What's he meaning? Priests go to work on the Sabbath day. Am I breaking the Sabbath right now because I'm up front? No, I'm not. That's not the heart of God's command. Now, if I don't take time to spend alone with the Lord and enjoy fellowship together, I've got a heart problem that we need to address. But Jesus says this, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you'd known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And he goes on to say that the Sabbath is for man, not man for the Sabbath. And what is Jesus teaching? He teaches some powerful things, and, and they'll come up 
Hopefully we're having a, a bit of technical difficulties this morning. But he teaches us that in practicing the Sabbath, it's not a burden. There can be all sorts of challenges going on, but practicing the Sabbath isn't meant to be a burden. It's meant to be a blessing that points us to the delight of God in spite of our, sacrifice, in spite of our circumstances. God is delightful. <laughs> really? Like, do we realize that? The glory of God is radiantly beautiful. Have you taken time to be still and enjoy him? And then Jesus goes on to show that it's a day when we are to show mercy and to care deeply. The Sabbath is relational. There's a relational context to the Sabbath. We care for each other when our mind is taken off ourselves. What does the Sabbath do? It shifts shifts our focus from how great and busy we are to who God is and to his perspective in the world. Which is more important, the tasks you have to get done or the people in your lives? The Pharisees would have said, it's make sure you do the right task. Jesus is saying, it's mercy, it's compassion, it's care, it's relationship. That has such significance. That shows people how to rest in me. And it's a day to focus on Christ and what he's done. That's why it changed from being the Sabbath to what they called later on in church tradition, the Lord's Day. And it moved from Saturday, the end of the week, to Sunday, the beginning of the week, Resurrection Day. And so we remember that Jesus Christ has risen and given us new life in him. And we orient our lives around the centrality of Jesus Christ in every aspect of life. And we say, Lord, you told me that I could come to you when I am weary and heavy burdened and you will give me rest. And I'm going to live that. So Lord, today, here it all is. I'm going to give it to you. You are my delight and my satisfaction. It's yours. Help me to take a deep breath and be still, for you are God alone. My job is not God. My time is not God. You are God. So what do we do? How do we order our lives in a way? Well, Mike, I'm already at church. I've already slowed down enough, right? Well, let's ask some questions. Who or what do we find the most delight in? Because some of you might be asking, how do I delight in the Lord? I don't know. Well, you know how you'll learn that? You'll slow down. You'll spend time with him. You'll enjoy his word. You'll open up his word together with others. And you'll practice saying, Lord, teach me and show me your glory. And he will do that. Then you ask that next question, why am I so tired? (laughs) because I'm alive. Or as I used to say when I was in college, I'll sleep when I'm dead, which is really bad theology, by the way. But that's another topic. Why am I so tired? Am I giving myself freedom to obey the Lord and rest? Am I giving myself freedom to do what God told me to do? Or am I too important to do that? Am I so, and I'm sorry to say it this way, am I so self-important that I'm too busy and I have to do this right now? God begs to differ. 
He says, I am bigger than everything you can throw at me. You need me more than you need that email. You need me more than you need that phone call. You need me more than you need and fill in the blank. Will you take time to delight in the Lord and let him help you prioritize the rest? And then we ask the question, what rhythm am I dancing to? This is why I've had a song in my head all morning, and it's from the 90s. Rhythm is a dancer. It's a soul romancer. You can feel it in the air. I'm not going to sing it, but at the whole point, it's very rhythmic, and you you get that beat going. When we begin to orient our lives around the ordered life God invites us to, a life of enjoying his presence, a life of slowing down and pausing to be with him, a life of practicing solitude, a life of practicing community, a life of fasting to remind us of how great he is, a life of really crawling in here and learning and studying and meditating on him. When we begin to do those things, we feel this rhythm of life that takes our eyes off of ourself. It takes our eyes off of what everyone else has done wrong to us and fixes them on what he has done on our behalf. And it completely changes how we can live because we've slowed down enough to see he is God. And we are invited to be in step with him. Would we slow down? Would we find peace in all of the craziness by going to the Lord and resting in him? Would we look at our life this week and say, Lord, teach me to dwell upon you. Teach me to practice the Sabbath. Teach me to make time to enjoy you to delight in you, and to do it with my family. In your name I pray. Amen.